0: Know my personal philosophy. What I've what I've discovered thus far is that there's a lot of beauty and mystery and magic in in the fusion of two different things. Like for example, fighting and music, rhythm. You need to have good rhythm to be a fighter. There's rhythm in music, and I love hip hop music. And I do this thing where I call it beats by bomb, uh, where I play a hip hop song, and I hit the heavy bag to the beat of the song that's playing. I try different combinations and movements, and um, my fan base has, they they really take a liking to it, and it's something I enjoy doing just for fun. It helps me become a better fighter, work on my timing and my rhythm, but at the same time, I'm still enjoying music and hip hop, which is something I'm passionate about. So the marriage between the two has created something really, really awesome.
1: Hi, and welcome or welcome back to the Mindset and Performance Podcast. I'm Driz, a Mindset and Performance coach. I help athletes and young professionals with their career development. We work on a wide range of areas, from training to nutrition, but focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else. The whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behavior and of course to know what kind of mindsets they have tiffany van sust and i hope i'm pronouncing it well also known as time bomb was one of my most interesting podcast guests Our conversation left me with a long-lasting positive impression. Uh, You might expect a fighter to be rough and rowdy, but I found Tiffany very calm and put eloquent and very articulated. It was also interesting to see how humble she is. Being a world champion fighter didn't blow her ego out at all. Tiffany Timebomb is a two-time glory kickboxing world champion and a five-time Mai Thai world champion, having a Dutch heritage, she grew up in California, playing sports, surfing with her dad, and enjoying her creative place, the ocean. Tiffany's mindset and emotional intelligence, and her outlook in life, played a huge role in her athletic success. She trains her mind as well as her fitness equally. She shares with us during this conversation her training drills, her routines, her life philosophy, but also speaks about her upbringing and uh, her other passions and what she's preparing for her future. So through my work, I meet and connect with individuals from all over the world who are in a journey uh, to getting something, improving something, winning, or simply becoming the best version of themselves, and they they all share the same patterns and mindset, and they are there is a lot of lessons. there. There's a lot of lessons that we can take from their experience. And with Tiffany's story and philosophy... Uh, there is definitely things we can learn and apply in our life in general, or if we are a competitive athlete, we can apply them there as well. So, this interview has been a full blend of openness, vulnerability, honesty, and interesting insights. It was conducted in Bali, Indonesia, where she is training to take back her word title in France uh, next 9 March uh, 2019. So, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the podcast with Tiffany. Time bomb. So, how are you today?
0: Doing well, thank you. How are Did you, you train? I didn't today. I took a rest day. Feeling yeah. borderline under the weather, like just that maybe about to get sick feeling, so decided to kind of rest today.
1: Too much training?
0: Definitely. I've been training really hard. <laughs> yeah. And, um,
1: what are you preparing for? Uh,
0: preparing for my rematch with Anissa Mexen for the Glory Kickboxing World title.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, So what does it take to prepare for a game like that
0: it's a lot of training Uh um i train
1: you mentioned three times two to three times the other day
0: two yeah two times definitely a day sometimes three with that Mm. third session being a little bit lighter or Mm. um you know more more specific Um, a lot of recovery as well and i also do some mental training
1: Oh, you do? Yes. Well, I'm going to be curious about (laughs) what do you do specifically for that.
0: Uh, I work with a sports psychologist. (laughs) Oh, nice. And I also like to practice meditation. And I've recently been starting to get into using binaural beats um, for my meditation. And um, starting to dabble in like self-hypnosis. So on YouTube, I'm just finding different ones. And as I I just kind of lay down, relax and listen. And um, visualization has also been a huge part of my training as well.
1: See the thing is, I found a lot of people have some kind of stigma around meditation. A stigma. Yeah.
0: A negative uh, like one, a branding problem.
1: One. A branding problem. Like when I recommend that, like to my young athletes, the people mm-hmm. I work with, it's like, yeah, we don't do that, like in our family. They think of it like being some really high spiritual thing, that even religious thing. Yeah. But can you say, Can you tell, tell me what, how do you use it specifically or rather, how does it help you? What's the result from doing it?
0: It just depends on, on the intention that I set for my meditation. Some meditation, if it's uh, before training or before a competition, um, it's specifically to get into my zone, my visualization to uh, remind myself of the things that I need to do and to just get myself prepared. Um, other times I meditate to clear my head if I feel like there's too much going on in my head. If it's throughout the day um, or first thing in the morning, um, I like to just start my day with like a fresh slate. Um, So I use it to clear my head. Um, At times, I use it before bed to kind of help myself relax as well. So um, it just depends on the intention that I set before it. There's different types of meditation. There's movement meditation. There's still meditation. um, and, And the more that I get into it I find that certain meditations work better for certain purposes than others.
1: Okay, and how? when did you get into it and how?
0: Um, I started getting into it maybe about two years ago, oh. um, but even more so recently uh, over the last year, the different types of meditation because I find that I'm the type of person that my brain is very very it's always working spinning it's always spinning and um at times that that kind of gets in my way of my sports performance or even just my normal day it creates a lot of anxiety just general anxiety and so um i use that to kind of help level myself out and and remain calm and, and it helps me just feel better overall and think clearly
1: Oh, wow, awesome. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into it? Like, Did you just stumble into it, like Google it, or was it your sports psychologist that helped you, introduce um, you to it?
0: You know, it, it comes at me, for, like when something pops up in my life from different sources and in different times, it forces me to pay more attention to it. So, you know, I'd, I'd mention, oh, I overthink, or, oh, I feel this way, and somebody would be like, oh, have you ever tried meditating? And, I just, yeah, you know whatever. And then you know I'm listening to a podcast. You know weeks later, and another athlete or somebody else is talking about oh meditation. I'm like oh there it is again, you know. And so when I hear it from different, I'm like there's something about this meditation thing that I'm hearing it not just from athletes, not just from uh, people who practice yoga, but from so many different types of people. I mean there's there must be something to it. Okay, I need to figure out what it is and what it's about and you know when you think of meditation um it's like what you said that the stigma like the first thing that comes to mind is it's very spiritual it's very almost religious it's like all people who do yoga do it or buddhist monks do it but there there are different types of meditation and and it's not just that so um just digging deeper and learning and researching more on the different types and Trying the different types to find out which is the best fit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah sometimes, um, sometimes I like to call it also focus training.
0: Focus training. This
1: helps you to focus to be put to one thing at a time. You know, yeah. when you when it teaches you to focus either in your breath or in the sounds that are around or your physical sensations, your body against uh, the chair and everything is like creating neural pathways to towards focus. It's like training the the muscle, the brain. Uh, in, in, in focusing, yeah. Okay, so um, you mentioned uh, uh, working with a sports psychologist. What else do you do? You, do you do with him? Like, do you meet in regular basis or call? I believe also.
0: Um, when I'm at home and I'm in training camp, like I am now, we meet one to two times per week, um, where he actually we meet somewhere or he comes over. Um, there's two types of sessions that I've done with him. One is like a, a like a couch setting where you know I'm laying down and it's uh, almost like a hypnosis type thing, but he guides me through my visual- visualization and um, he creates cues and different images that I can kind of tap into to bring myself to a certain state or to achieve a certain objective. Um, the other sessions that I found were really helpful and I liked a lot were my sports psych would actually come to my training sessions. And um, for example, if I'm hitting pads with my coach, um, in, when the round is over, he'll bring me over and say, okay, what is one thing you would like to do better? Or based on what my coach is coaching me through, I'm like, okay, we need you to do this better. Close your eyes. Now imagine, um, like, say for example, a certain kick that I'm throwing. He's like, imagine what you would look like if you threw that kick perfectly as quickly as possible. It recoiled, it had the snap, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, he calms me down, I visualize, and he says, okay, you're going to go out and you're going to do that now. And um, I found that the sessions where he actually comes to my training, and it's those things that we can address right there in that moment, correct it, or, um, you know, work on it, and then send me back over Mm -hmm. to my coach and then I work on that specific thing immediately. Um, I I, I found a lot of positive results with that.
1: I'm sure it is. And then so when did you start using this kind of mental drills and mental um, skills? Mm. Do you think like from the beginning of your career or later on?
0: No, not until maybe two years ago. I didn't start working with a sports psychologist until two years ago.
1: Why not before? Very curious.
0: I was always because I'm such an overthinker. Yeah, I thought it's just going to give me more to overthink (laughs) about or oh I'm going to like deconstruct and overanalyze everything even more but that wasn't the case at all like just the expectation that I had of what the sessions would be like were not even close to what they are in reality and um, I've worked with two different sports psychs now and with two different approaches one is more the one I'm telling you about and the other was more like objective more from a taking a step back looking at a bigger perspective um, and I think um, they both serve there's different purposes and because I've experienced both and have utilized both I know based on how I'm feeling or where I'm at mentally which one I need
1: I see yeah. do you think this is something that could be uh, used uh, m- different ages or, or only when you get to certain maturity
0: Um, I wish that I had learned a lot of these skills when I was a younger athlete. Um, but I think also as a younger athlete, I, I didn't think as much, you know, as we get older and mature and experience life, um, we tend to start thinking more and start thinking differently or overthinking. Um, but man, if I had some of the tools, that I have now, that I like, if I had them when I was younger, I can't even imagine what type of athlete I would have been
1: oh, uh, even sooner. Yeah. Mm. But
0: better late than never.
1: Mm. Okay, but so, how satisfied are you with your um, career today, athletic career today? Like, if you gotta put a number on it, let's say ten being super satisfied, one not satisfied at all, where would you be placed?
0: Um, satisfied in what regard? As far as what I've accomplished so far, yes. Or, yes. Um, same about a seven.
1: Seven. Okay. Yeah. So how would a, a nine look like? And mm-hmm. I'm saying specifically look like here. So if you can paint that image, that picture of how a nine or a ten be looking like.
0: Um, I think because of the sport that I compete in, uh, specifically kickboxing, not mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts is is now a mainstream sport. It's on ESPN. You know, it's world renowned. Um, kickboxing is still a very specific sport it's a very niche sport so it doesn't get the the attention or the notoriety um, that these other mainstream sports get Um, for my career to be at a nine um, I think the success that I've had in a ring and being a world champion that is I'm very proud of that but if if kickboxing got the mainstream attention and Um, the income and the opportunity the same as some of the other mainstream sports, then I would be a bit more satisfied with it because I feel that uh, mixed martial artists, kickboxers, we work just as hard as any other professional athlete on in mainstream sports yet we don't make the same income or get the same type of opportunities or recognition. So um, yeah, for it to be a nine or a 10 just for kickboxing to be on the mainstream and be like, like, I guess quote a real sport.
1: Um, uh, so it's more like um, you try. Are you saying uh, the recognition also that it gets plays a big role, will play a big role in how satisfied you will be uh, with your career? Like if it's as big as other sports.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. so.
1: Yeah. So how do you know when you did a good job? Like usually, when you, how do you know that you are um, that you reached a good level? Does it come from an internal? Uh, satisfaction or is it when you get um some external source telling you good job here's a medal and so on like
0: I think it definitely comes from an internal source mm-hmm. because even as a seven time world champion there's still something inside of me that is not completely satisfied mm-hmm. that is not I, I don't feel finished I don't feel completely fulfilled mm-hmm. do I feel proud yes do I feel accomplished mm-hmm. yes but there's still that something inside of me that I can't quite put my finger on mm-hmm. that just leaves me wanting more or to see how far I can push it, how much better I can get, mm-hmm. where I can take it.
1: Do you know specifically where where what is it that you want to have and, and where you want to be? I don't. I don't no. think so. I mean, mm-hmm.
0: you would think, you know, the majority of, of an athlete's dream is to be... A champion or win a title or to be on a, a championship team um, and you think okay that's it I've done it I've reached the goal I've reached the top but um, you no know, when I when I reached that and I think because I reached that at a young age I was kind of like okay now what <laughs> There's got to be more be, okay I, I did it but yeah. I still don't I don't feel complete
1: uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about the why and knowing what is it that you do and why why you do what you do and everything. So, it can be sometimes helpful to know it, but yeah, it could be also when you reach it, then what's next next step, right? Yeah. What is the the next level? Okay, so satisfaction level is seven, uh, and nine is when you are. Let's say there's a bigger recognition in the game, and the sport itself. Is there something that you can do to make that satisfaction level go up? Something that you can do personally that is not you're, not, you're not waiting for something to come from the outside, but something you can do yourself.
0: I think um, March 9th will be, will be a determining factor because uh, I'm facing the opponent who beat me and took the title from me a year ago. And so this fight is our rematch, and it's also for the title that she took from me, and it's my chance to take it back. So there's sort of a a personal redemption at stake there, you know, and being the highly competitive person that I am, somebody beat me that doesn't sit well, and I have a chance to, to redeem myself and get that back. Because the last fight wasn't, it wasn't even, like, it was so close. It was a very, very close fight, and... With it being so close, just makes it that much more frustrating that I lost, you know. So at this second chance, almost to to prove to myself that hey, I am better than this girl, you know. Um, it's really important to me.
1: Yeah, I can measure. I didn't realize that it was in March. I thought it was something close in February, yeah. but like, it's like a month, one month, yeah, a month from now. Yeah. Yeah. So is uh, is um, uh, uh, a part of your training is the recovery time that you spent in uh, in the place where we met. Like yeah. that's something you do in a regular basis as well?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: So why training in, in Indonesia, by the way?
0: I came to Bali because there's just, there's something magic about this place. Um, I wouldn't train here in Bali if the level at the gym at Bali MMA wasn't at the level that it's at. But um, I'm just very fortunate that in a place that I love, a tropical paradise that I love, there is a gym with world-class training, and not only world-class training, but world-class human beings, like the people at the gym, my teammates, my coaches, um, they're family to me, and there's a very special bond there. There's something very special going on there, and the fact that this group of people and this connection and everything is in a place like bali it just makes it even better
1: you know the fa- first time i came across uh, um, you it was a picture that my old coach uh posted mark mark mariani yeah he he used to be here as you know yeah. and i think you i'm still did, working with him Yeah, you still yeah oh wow okay yeah. he's now in thailand i believe he's now
0: in thailand he's coming back in a couple of weeks i think
1: just to work with you
0: no just to come back to bali but he'll definitely be finishing off my last couple weeks of my training camp
1: yeah for me he was like one of the best ever i have worked with he is he is a world-class coach yes Yes. so specific so precise in his training i didn't train for any martial arts it was just like fitness general fitness and Mm -hmm. he helped me also i had some back problems back then yeah I went to physiotherapists and chiropractors. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He did. He helped me with it. Yeah. Because he, he knew where to look exactly in the imbalances and the, the core work and everything. Yeah. And I believe also you have some origins, source like uh, Indonesian, like grandfather my grandfather, grandfather yes right? he's
0: from semarang oh.
1: so so i believe this is not the first time you coming you keep on you kept on coming since a young age or
0: my the first time i ever came to bali was in 2014 or 15 i believe so um, but it was always on my radar my dad growing up um, he's he was a surfer he taught me how to surf and because we're indonesian you know he always oh, we're going to go on a surf trip to Bali. We have to go to Bali. He would always talk about Bali. And so it was always on my radar um, as a surf destination, never as a spot to go and train. Um, and then later I got the opportunity when, when the gym, it wasn't even officially open yet, but just through um, my nutritionist who knew the guys that own it, he said, hey, they're opening this gym in Bali. You should come check it out. And I was like, Bali, man, they have the best waves in the world there. Now there's going to be a gym there, too. Like, it just, the way that it all came together, yeah. because my other passion is surfing. surfing. So yeah. it all just kind of fell together. I was
1: going to ask you about that. I didn't know surfing was a big thing for you. Oh, I love surfing. Oh, wow. Yeah, Amazing. I wish I
0: could do more of it right now, but I'm in training camp. So, you know, that super surfing has to take the back seat. Yeah, Yeah. super
1: disciplined. So you grew up in California, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. So surfing, which breaks?
0: Yes, Um, I live in San Diego. San Diego? Yeah. I visited. Pardon me? I've been there. Yeah, so I live in Encinitas, so I surf at Swami's, I surf in Lucadia, a little bit in Carlsbad, um, sometimes in La Jolla. Oh, Um, nice. Great surf, great surf Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, one of my best trip surf trips was there. I actually even had Blacks for for myself once, me and my friend. That's insane. That's insane. Usually, it's always packed, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Blacks is undoubtedly, it's one of the best spots in San Diego, but... I, I, just because of the crowd factor and how competitive it, it is there I kind of stay away I mean I really love surfing but uh, it's my it's for fun so I'm not trying to you know be competitive with it in any way and when when it's really crowded and, and the really competitive guys are going you know I just don't I don't want to be in the way I don't want to be in the mix I just want to have fun and catch my waves and
1: yeah. and how was it uh, growing uh, uh, in that environment how was uh- the upbringing for you?
0: Um, it was awesome. It was I didn't grow up by the beach. Um, I didn't move to San Diego, like to the coast until I was 18, until I moved out of my parents' house. But I grew up in a place called Riverside, which is just about 40 miles inland from the beach. I don't know how much that is in kilometers. Um, but um, still close enough to go on the weekend if I wanted to. And my grandma, my dad's mom lived in redondo beach so i spent a lot of time there in the summertime um for not living near the beach i was at the beach quite a bit so i was still able to kind of surf you know at least a couple of times a month but in the summertime
1: mm-hmm. would, were you close with your grandma
0: i was very 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 close, very close uh, with my uh, grandma
1: who would you say influenced your childhood the most like in a positive way
0: uh as far as my family members yeah
1: or it could be also other people uh,
0: my biggest influence is probably, you know, I was I was a tomboy, and I grew up doing martial arts and playing soccer, so Bruce Lee, the Ninja Turtles, Mia Hamm was my favorite soccer player, um, yeah, my own mom, my grandmother, she was also a very big influence on me as well. Mm.
1: Do you have any um, uh, words that she kept on telling you that you keep on remembering now, that it- let's say for example maybe influenced uh, your parkour as, a, as an athlete mm,
0: not so much as one specific thing she would say for, like in regards to athletics but just in general she would when something was difficult or something that i didn't want to do or was hard she said you, you just have to do it because that's just what we do you just have to you just have to and that just always stuck Like i just have to
1: mm. Uh, like using it almost as a mantra would you say
0: as I yeah now as I'm older um, she passed away a year ago um, and this was just you know when I was growing up it was just something in the back of my mind but you know now that she's gone and things that she said and her words are a bit more significant now because those are the things that are left from her um, yeah I've kind of adopted that as a mantra I would say but Another mantra that I use uh, is "I'm a master of my mind, not a victim of my thoughts or emotions. I focus on what I can control, and this too shall pass.:
1: Wow, Yeah. It seems like uh, um, you do have you do work a lot on your or on your mental state, like emotional state, mindset.
0: It's definitely been something I've worked on a lot more over the last I would say three years.:
1: What is the most challenging part about what you do?
0: In the physical sense, in the mental sense, in the emotional sense. Let's share
1: them all, if you don't mind.
0: Um, in the physical sense, uh, any fighter will probably tell you it's the weight-cutting aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get close to the fight and you and you have to cut those last few, couple kilos. Um, the dieting, when you know, you're training extremely hard, you want to be able to eat large amounts, but you have to make your weight class, so you have to limit your food. And, you know, eating really clean is something I, I do... 75% of the time, but I love sweets. I love junk food every once in a while. You know, I'm human. So, um, you know, restricting those things and limiting those things, that's always, that's challenging. Um, the physical aspects of it, I mean, I'm getting punched and kicked every day. So that's also that's also challenging. Um, and when I'm doing mixed martial arts and jujitsu, because the ground fighting is so new to me, um, that is its own Challenge completely. Um, it's a different art. It's I'm not on my feet. I can't strike anybody. It's completely different. Um, so that's that's a challenge as well. But um, I really like it.
1: So when you are not into a, a, in preparation for a fight, how does your life look like? Uh,
0: it's a little bit more free. <laughs> um, when I'm in training camp, my life revolves around my training. I eat. I sleep. I recover.
1: I train, but that period maybe lasts like a month or two, something like that. Um,
0: that's for eight weeks at
1: a time. Eight weeks, right? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: When I'm out of camp, um, I teach a couple times a week. I teach classes. Um, I surf and I work on. I mean, I'm always training. Maybe not twice a day. Maybe not every single day consistently. I mean, for the most part, every day. But um, the training is a bit more dialed back, and um, I'm just gotten into dancing a little bit more Um, i'm into spoken word poetry so um, i spend a little bit more time writing and and performing spoken word poetry Um, and other projects that i have on the side that i've just started to get going because um, as i'm reaching 30 i'll be 30 soon um, and i know that I've got maybe 4 or 5 years left in my career or that's all I really want to do. I'm working on planting seeds now and building my brand to to establish myself and transition out of fighting when it comes time to retire so that way I'll still have something to do. I'll still have a purpose. So I'm not going to be another fighter athlete who's who's done with sport and then left with nothing, no identity, no no other passion or no other direction to go. So, um, right now when I'm not getting ready for a fight, I'm I'm working on those other little side projects.
1: Very interesting. I would like to pull on that one about the identity. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just wrote an article about identity not so long ago and we'll be curious to see your point of view about it. So, yeah, as you know, like, once you've finished a a career Mm -hmm. um, or only, also for people who would like to do career change, they often link their title to what they can do, right? right. Like a, a fighter, for example. Right. I'm a fighter. So how do you approach that change? Do you see, do you see the skills that you have or the, the social, emotional skills, everything that you have carried and learned during the whole time? And how can you employ them in the, in the next step? Are you very conscious about those skills? That you will carry and employ and, and transfer to the next uh, next uh, next part next chapter.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the determination that I have as a fighter, which you know, and that competitiveness, um, when I'm no longer able to put it into the physicality and training and competing, I'll still have that same determination to achieve my goals outside of the ring. I'll still be competitive with myself or with whatever industry and I end up in outside of the ring. I mm. will still, you know... Um,
1: is it a secret? Is it a
0: secret? Yeah, the industry. No, no, no. I mean, I've, I have many different interests and in, in different projects that I'm trying to get going and still things that I'm figuring out, whether I think I like now and maybe I won't like them the more that I get into it. But um, motivational speaking is one. Um, I'm kind of trying my hand at that. It's something that, through teaching seminars, has naturally—it's um, kind of flowed into something that I've taken an interest in: connecting with people, and um, you know, helping to inspire. And so that's one avenue. Um, as I mentioned before, the spoken word, poetry, and, and music, and dance, and the the artist side. What kind? What kind of dance again? I like to do top rocking, like up rocking, kind of like hip hop and um, not the, the ground aspect of break dancing because I am I think I'm a little bit too old to start doing that, a little too beat up already for that. It's, it's really hard on the body, but um, I love footwork. Um, I love salsa dancing. I've taken some salsa dancing lessons and have taken a liking to that as well. Um, I don't think I'd ever want to go like professional with it or compete with it, but uh, I find the the connection between dance and fighting and music and fighting and it's something that i'm able to link the two while i'm still fighting but i'm still going to be interested in dancing and and music when i'm done fighting so if i can you know somehow connect it now and then i don't know use it in some way later
1: yeah create something out of it yeah must be possible i think
0: yeah, there's got to be. I think you know my personal philosophy. What I've what I've discovered thus far is that there's a lot of beauty and mystery and magic in in the fusion of two different things. Like for example, fighting and music, rhythm. You need to have good rhythm to be a fighter. There's rhythm in music, and I love hip hop music. And I do this thing where I call it beats by bomb, uh, where I play a hip hop song, and I hit the heavy bag to the beat of the song that's playing. I try different combinations and movements, and um, my fan base has, they they really take a liking to it, and it's something I enjoy doing just for fun. It helps me become a better fighter, work on my timing and my rhythm, but at the same time, I'm still enjoying music and hip hop, which is something I'm passionate about. So the marriage between the two has created something really, really awesome.
1: I can imagine, yes. Okay, so, Can you tell us a little bit about your time management? How do you prioritize things? And when do you have time to work on your social media? When do you have time for your personal life?
0: Um, When I'm in training camp, everything takes a backseat to training. Um, Training is the number one priority. My training, my recovery, and and all things pertaining to that. Um, Social media is something that I know it's important it's something that sometimes I enjoy doing. Um, I know that there are certain algorithms and things that you can do to increase your following and to, to be more present. Um, for some people that's everything to them. And for me, I feel like it comes in waves. There's times where I'm not too active on social media. I post on my Instagram once a week. I'll post stories almost every day. Um, but, and then there's times where I'm really into it. I'll, I'll be more active and I'll post a lot. Um, it just kind of depends on how I feel. If I'm really tired from training and or mentally whatever, then I don't worry about it because, you know, my job is to train. And there's times where... I find it fun and I, I can be creative and express myself through it and use things like my, my art and things like my writing and photography. I can use my social media as an outlet to, to put that out there in the world. So, I mean, it really, I guess I just social, I do my social media based on how I feel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The reason why I'm asking is because some of my clients find it heavy, yeah. you know, and they would like to learn how to distance themselves from it, like still do it, because, you know, it's about exposure, also getting more sponsors and also yes. passing on a message to uh, not passing on a message, but like inspiring somehow right. the audience. But they found it very heavy. What would be your, your, your advice when it comes to dealing with uh, the burden of social media?
0: Um, I agree at times it, it is a burden yeah. and, this, and social media can be a wicked, wicked, horrible place. Mm. The comment section. Don't read the comments. Yeah, right? (laughs) Don't read the comments because there could be a hundred positive comments and one horribly negative one and that's the one that sticks out and that's the one that'll ruin your day. Um, my advice would be to do social media as you feel like you can share as much as you want or as little as you want. I mean, I know, you know, like I said, there's there's certain ways to do it and go about it, you know, to to gain more traction and um, and things like that. But at the end of the day, we're still human beings and s- social media is not real life. Like, that's not reality. And unfortunately, it's become such a big thing. Um, you know, the, the internet used to be a place to escape reality. And now it's almost like reality is a place where we go to escape the internet and the social media. And um, these are just my personal feelings about it. And, you know, there's some athletes that will tell you oh, social media is everything. You have to do it. And there's some that will tell you, like, no, it's garbage. But I fall kind of in the middle because I see the importance of it as, a, you know, as uh, for, for brand building and for exposure. But at the same time, I'm still a human being, and I like to keep some things to myself. And I don't want to have to be public with everything all the time if I don't want to. So I just kind of, like I said, based on how I feel. I try to keep it as authentic as possible though, which is why uh, I like to do it all myself. Because if I feel like if somebody else is posting for me, there's a chance that it could they could post something that is not really me, that I don't really believe in, or even like the wording. Like if, if people are gonna connect with me, I want them to connect with the real me, not with somebody else's version of me or what I should look like
1: or what my profile should look like. You don't get that pressure sometimes from, I don't know, media or sponsors or?
0: Sometimes I do. And, and with sponsorships, I know there are obligations for that. And I make sure that I fulfill those obligations and I just communicate specifically. Hey, this is this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I won't do. And as long as we're clear on that communication, then there's no problems.
1: Can we go to uh, back a little bit to your career and look at um, if there was things that you could have done differently?
0: I never really thought about what I could have done differently. I mean, the past is the past, right? I mean, if I could have gone back to change it... Um, I mean, maybe certain... Certain people that I've come across, maybe I wish that I never came across before and, you know, kind of stopped that before it started. Um, but, you know, everything is a learning lesson, every experience, good or bad. So, if, if there are things that I could have done differently, maybe protected myself a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, yeah.
1: What is the message to someone who is in the beginning of his career?
0: Be prepared to sacrifice a lot and to work very, very hard to reach the goals that you want to reach because you think you have a goal and you think this is the path and this is how I'm going to get there, but it, it never goes according to plan. There's there's twists, there's turns, there's bumps in the road. There's, you know, there's great things that happen, but there's terrible things that happen. So um, be, be prepared to be flexible and to make changes and adaptations as you go.
1: Is this how you managed yours? Yeah. Your bumps and challenges.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody has a set plan, right? But it's not always going to go according to plan. It's not always going to go perfectly. So I think if you're open, it's, it's good to have a plan and to follow it. But also, you can't be devastated or let a deviation or a setback or something completely deter you. You have to be able to bend and flow and and go with it.
1: So what is the mental skill, the number one, that someone needs to be equipped by to, to tackle those challenges and those obstacles? What helped you?
0: I think just a lot of determination and perseverance and just that that never say die attitude, that never give up. I mean, even if I have to take a break, even if I have to slow down or you know, kind of change direction a little bit, but never stopping. Never, never stop progressing.
1: Did you know what you wanted to be when you were uh, in the beginning of that career? You knew where this is all taking you? I had no clue. No clue.
0: I had no clue whatsoever. Like, there was never once in my life, like, as a little girl growing up, or even as I got older, that I said, I want to be a professional fighter. I want to be a world champion fighter. It all just... I didn't make my pro debut, like... I never had the intention of it. I made my pro debut on 10 days' notice. I was training for an amateur fight, you know, and I figured, oh, I'm just doing this amateur thing till I finish university, I'll have my degree, I'll go work. Um, My coach calls me, hey, I've got good news and bad news. I'm like, what's the bad news? My opponent dropped out, because at that time, I started to have a hard time getting matched up for fights with opponents. And he said, yeah, and I said, well, then what's the good news? <laughs> and he said, you're going to make your pro debut instead. <laughs> and I was like, what? what? The, in a week? Uh-huh. Like, so I was, I was training, and I was preparing for a fight. But um, in, the, in the States, the difference between professional and amateur, other than the license required, is the rule set. Um, for Muay Thai, as an amateur in, in the United States, you weren't allowed to throw knees to the head. You weren't allowed to throw elbows. It was just punches, and kicks, and knees to the body. As a professional, you now are allowed to throw elbows, which totally changes the game. It's almost different rules in, in a way. And so I learned how to utilize elbows in, in those 10 days and made my pro debut against a, a like three or four time European champion. And, and I won. So that, that first pro fight, and I was so stoked to get paid. I was still in university. I was a broke college kid Mm -hmm. and someone wanted to pay me to fight. I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't that much. I think I made maybe a thousand dollars for that fight. But, you know, as a 22 year old, I'm like, it's great. (laughs) And so one turned into the next one and the next one. And I mean, here I am.
1: Excellent. Well, what did you want to be when you were little? Did you have a vision like before even fighting maybe? Before the fights,
0: I, I was always athletic. I was always into sports. Um, I, I grew up playing football, soccer. And I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And then as I got older, I realized that, uh, especially on the women's side, especially in the United States, there's there's no money in that. Um, when that was like, when it was at its height, it was in, I think, in 1999, 2000, 2001. That's when women's soccer was at its peak. Mia Hamm was getting Gatorade ads and, oh, I can do that. That's what I want to do. But she's the 1%. You know, that generation, they were that 1%. And then the Women's Professional League started. And just as quickly as it started, it went bankrupt. And so there goes that. And so um, always being involved in sport and being active, I decided I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach so i went to school and i studied kinesiology and i wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach for athletes and um i had an internship and at the same time when i was meant to start my job at the gym where i interned um, while i was still fighting i'd already had maybe three or four professional fights uh, i got my opportunity for my first world title fight it was for the wbc world title and that was the fork in the road for my life where I could have had the security of this job as a strength and conditioning coach. That probably would have been my path, and I turned it down to train for this fight. I won the title, and I mean, still there's no money in it. It's not like my life changed and I made a bunch of money. I mean, I was just, I just had this title now. And but I
1: believe you will not necessarily pursuing the money when you... No, when you definitely no. I wasn't no.
0: pursuing the money. I was mm. just like, I have a chance to be the best in the world at something, which is something only a, a select handful of people can say, you know, and being super competitive. Anything I do, I don't want to do it to be second best. Like if I'm going to do it, of course I want to be the best in the world at it. You know, so, especially with, with martial arts, with fighting, because it was a passion of mine since I was... Eight years old. I started karate when I was eight years old, and. Um,
1: Any specific type of uh, karate?
0: I did Okinawan Shorin ru Japanese style.
1: Back in the state, there were available. This this type of training was available.
0: Yeah, well, you know, like after the the Karate Kid movies came out and all the kung fu movies in oh, yeah, the yeah, 70s yeah. and the 80s, uh. there was a big boom. Of, of karate schools popping up all over the United States and then my generation I grew up with Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles and so watching that on TV I'm like I just want to be like a Ninja Turtle I just <laughs> want to be like Power Rangers. Yeah I
1: grew up with these guys too for sure yeah, I had posters so. everywhere. Yeah
0: I just told my mom, mom I want to do karate you know she's like what?
1: Were they supportive?
0: Yeah totally I mean they they put me in karate and you know they take me to my classes every week and I would do I would compete in tournaments and they would come to the tournaments and cheer for me and support me, but I don't think my parents or myself or anyone in my family had any idea that this is where I would end up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I wanted karate, but my parents put me to judo. Oh okay. I had no clue why. Totally different. I was seven years old I think yeah. when I was asking for it. I put me in judo. Yeah. I was like, okay, they probably well. saw
0: the uniform They're like, Oh, it's the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably that, right? Yeah. I didn't pursue it though, but yeah. anyway. Okay. I'm curious about how was it, um, in terms of friendship, with people. Like, did you stand out too much to the point where it was hard to find like-minded friends, or, or, or it, this didn't carry this this path didn't impact your friendship and your relationship with other kids?
0: Um, like, as a kid growing up,
1: kid, teenager.
0: Um, as a kid, no, it was you know I had friends. In karate class, I had my friends at school on the playground. I had my friends from soccer. Um, as a teenager, you know, when our priorities start to change, we get a little bit older and we start different paths. When, when a lot of my friends would want to start to go out on the weekends and, you know, be teenagers, I, you know, I was very disciplined in my karate. I trained for tournaments.
1: By yourself, sorry to interrupt. By yourself, you will discipline by yourself, or somebody told you you have to focus on this.
0: Um, my instructors, you know, well, it's kind of like if you want this, then you need to do this. It doesn't matter if your friends are doing this. What do you want more? So you mm-hmm. sacrificed.
1: Yeah. Something. I learned.
0: Yeah. I learned sacrifice at a very young age because with um, playing soccer as well, I played at a club level from the age of ten, where I learned. My coach said the only way you're allowed to miss practice or a game is if you have a death certificate. Like <laughs> <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve years old, and they're telling us, "Hey, if you want to be the best soccer player you can be, you can't go hang out with your friends, you know, when it's time to train or when it's time to play." And that was something that, you know, I guess from from a very young age, it was that always meant more to me than being a normal kid. I mean, I was still very much a normal kid, but when it came time for karate or soccer or whatever, like, I always chose that over
1: mm. being a normal kid. So I hear a lot here talk about discipline and, and being really disciplined about certain things and managing priorities and everything. Mm-hmm. While having this conversation, I'm, I'm hoping also some of my audience and my clients will be listening to it, mm-hmm. yours as well, and learn that this is very important. It's like once you put your mind into something, you just get, get a commit and focus, and prioritize, and know that you're sacrificing some things for something that are greater. Right. Bigger, right? Right. Great. Okay. Do you read? I do. What do you read? Um,
0: my Bible is Warrior of the Light by Paulo Coelho. Ah,
1: yeah, yeah. and I think I know this one. Yeah. And uh, the, the he's my favorite.
0: Yeah, he's one of my favorites as well. Um, I also... I'm almost finished with "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins, which is fantastic.
1: I don't know this one. Okay, i got to check. I'll that put one. some links. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: a great one. Um, I like to mix it up, but because this, these last few months I've been gearing up to to get back into the ring and, and fight again, I'm really just trying to always strengthen my my mental my mental ability. And so, reading things like like "Can't Hurt Me," you know, stories of um, inspiring stories of just raw determination and persistence—you know, overcoming adversity. Um, you know, I try to learn from other people who have just been in the trenches and have come out on top. Their stories are very inspirational, and you know, we can all learn from from things like that. Um, on the lighter side, you know, like Paulo Coelho again. Still, it's a little lighter, but with with deep messages, something very meaningful. Um, I'm also into hip hop. I I was reading um, by RZA, the the Tao of the Wu, you know, from the Wu Tang. You know, people who are just the best at what they do, and they seem like they have these just different perspectives that, um, you know, again, you can just learn from and and be inspired by. um, Reading books on emotional intelligence, you know, just I don't really read fantasy things too much, or you know, like. You know, because I'm I'm kind of a dreamer. I'm off in my own fantasy world most of the time. So um, if I'm reading something, it's definitely going to be geared more towards something that's going to help me grow as a person, learn. or learn, or mm. make me better, or make me better at what I do. Mm.
1: That's really awesome. I'm so glad we had this conversation yeah, and we too. bumped into each other the other day.
0: Definitely. So
1: so happy and. Um, I think uh, a lot of our audience will take a lot of lessons from what it were, our conversation today. Good, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, is there any other message you would like to pass on here to our audiences? I, I don't know, something like, for example, when they can watch you or...
0: Yeah, uh, my next fight is going to be March 9th in Strasbourg, France for Glory Kickboxing. It'll be available on UFC Fight Pass. Um, I'll be fighting for the world title and definitely getting it back.
1: Excellent. Yeah. A place where they can interact with you?
0: Um, my, I'm most active on Instagram and it's at Tiffany Time All one word, no
1: spaces. About Time Bomb, how did you earn that or how did you come up with it?
0: I earned that name um, when I was 16 and I was training in Muay Thai and my coach at the time we were sparring And he hit me really hard. And something inside of me just went off. And I came back at him so hard. And the round ended, and he was like, man, Tiff, you just oh, what happened? You just went off like a bomb. We're just going to start calling you that. You're like a ticking time bomb. Tiffany Time Bomb, that's your name. Oh, and I was like, please do not call <laughs> me that. That is so lame. <laughs> but it stuck. Of course, you're not supposed to like your nickname. Mm-hmm. And if you give yourself your own nickname, that's kind of lame too. So, I mean, I didn't give it to myself. And at first, I didn't like it. So, of course, it stuck. And then everyone started calling me that. And so, I just embraced it and it became my my brand my identity
1: excellent thank you so much for joining this thank you
0: for having me